you are listening to Faceless Brew, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Bros. Each week, we design new decks for tournament play and then put our creations through the test so we can share our findings on the air. On today's episode, David and Moore go into detail regarding Pioneer. Does the format deserve any bans? I think David has some pretty strong suggestions regarding the topic and why unbanning is the true answer. Followed by that, they dig deep into short of the skulls, but what can be done with the second runner-up from the monthly project? Tune in to see and I hope you share the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson, joined by my man from Down Under. He is Mordekaiser from Buenos Aires. What is going on, my guy? Hey, David. How is it going? Hope you're doing well. I am well. Uh, summer is finally here in Minnesota after a historically cold and rainy April. It is beautiful out. Uh, everybody is out celebrating. Everybody's out enjoying the sun. So That's, that's what a really evil man would say. 15 seconds later, because five seconds before we started recording, I said, I'm freezing myself to death. And the first thing we hear is how, in the other side of the world, they're just living the summer life. And I'm here practically hiding my stove. What is freezing to death in Buenos Aires? What What is that temperature? Um, I don't speak Fahrenheit. So in Celsius, <laughs> um, it was five, five degrees today, which is, let me check that in American. Yeah, I mean, we need real temperatures here. That's forty-one. Oh, no, no, it's it's just complaining, freezing, not really, really freezing. Yeah, Argentinian freezing. I mean, we're not in. Yeah, it's the beginning of winter. It, it has to go to like minus two, minus three at most. We don't really freeze, freeze. We just complain. <laughs> well, the uh, central human. <laughs> the central <laughs> <expression>. human characteristic. <laughs> All right, so we have a ton of stuff today. Uh, we are going to talk about a bunch of different announcements. There was already a ban announcement in Explorer. There was a bunch of new product uh, previewed this week, including today. And then we wanted to take a look at some showdown of the Scalds brews. But first, we have to take care of some housekeeping. So we want to give a shout out to our latest members of the Patreon, and there are a bunch of them. So we have Greg C, we have Aaron L, we have Benjamin S, we have Greg D, we have Paul L, we have Bogdan V, and Jordan L. So welcome everybody to the uh, Patreon. It's uh, it's going to be crowded in there. <laughs> it, was a, it was a good influx. Also, um, big shout out to Aaron L, a lead um, good friend but friend of mine since the beginning, since we were playing Nib together. So it's one of those people that has followed me since the start, since the begin, early beginnings. Excellent. Yeah. So welcome to everybody. Uh, just a reminder, if you enjoy the show and you want to support us, the best way to do so is to go to patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. Join at whatever level is uh, comfortable for you. You get access to the Discord where there are tons of crazy ideas getting fired around in all different kinds of formats, all kinds of discussion of spoilers, etc., there's a bunch of merch that you can buy if if you're uh, in the market to do a little in-person uh, Magic the Gathering this summer. And you get to vote for cards. We are, of course, uh, undertaking that monthly project with Serum Visions. 
Invoke Calamity was the card that was voted. We've kind of been doing a, a little bit uh, like a week check-in on on the cards that finished second, third, and fourth. So even if your card doesn't win, you know, we're going to talk about Showdown on the Skull today in both of the formats. So yeah, if you want your voice to be heard there, that's the, that's the place to do it. Exactly. It's not particularly just going through like two, two to four, like specifically. It's just the voting was so close and people showed so much interest in these cards. And likely the same thing is going to happen next time. It felt like they deserve at least a, at least a bit of time in the spotlight, right? Yeah, and of course, you know, these are not just cards that people are pulling out of the ether. These are cards that we've thought about, right? I've putted around with a bunch of different shells for showing the skulls. It's super powerful, obviously, just like Invoke uh, Calamity is. And, and cards that are powerful are always going to sort of, you know, inspire the imagination. Exactly. Powerful plus a little strange is exactly what gets us Brewer going, right? Absolutely. Then in addition to all that stuff on the Patreon, we are expanding out to YouTube. So Monday, Wednesday, Friday, what are people going to see on YouTube? Well, right now you are just getting a melange. Like a bit of everything as we try to find exactly what people prefer. Dan has been uploading some videos. I have been uploading some leaks. Trying to find a mixture of what people prefer. If commented games, if replays. We're, and we're trying to find a way... And we would like to, love to hear suggestions on this to upload a podcast itself because a lot of people prefer to listen on YouTube and we would like to hear what should we, what would we like to see in the meanwhile. We tried with a league, but people felt like it was like too heavy, you know? Listening to a podcast plus watching a game of Magic becomes a bit too complicated to do both at once efficiently. So it's trying to find the mixture in there. Yeah, Dan sent me a league of him playing my Bant Werewolves list in Pioneer, and there was no commentary. He had recorded, uh, it sort of sounded like a Brian Eno, you know, taking Tiger Mountain by uh, strategy, uh, you know, 1975, like ambient sort of flowing sounds uh, as you're watching, <laughs> you know, <laughs> flashing in Nightpack Ambusher. So I don't know, maybe that's what the people are into. But yeah, that's the kind of stuff we need feedback on, right? If you don't like that, you're, you know, opposed to Brian Eno for some reason. You weren't a Roxy Music fan. That's fine. You know, you want to hear Dan's uh, melodious uh, description of all the uh, misplays he's making. <laughs> that's that's the feedback he needs. So, yeah, any feedback people want to give on the YouTube videos, uh, even, you know, constructive criticism is very, very useful in this case. Exactly. So, with that being said, first, thanks a lot to the new patrons. They really support us. They really keep us going. And let's get into a roundup for the week. We have a lot of news somehow this week. Yeah, so the first big news was that Explorer, which has only existed for like two weeks, already had a ban. Uh, actually had two bans. Winota Joiner of Forces was banned. And the two red mana instant counterspell... Tibalt Strickery. Yeah, Tibalt Strickery was also banned. Uh, both of them, I think, just had bad play patterns in best of one. So all of Explorers somehow has to suffer for that reason. Uh, this is exactly why I was very skeptical of this format existing in Arena. And already we're seeing like crazy decisions, in my opinion, like being made. Yeah, and the biggest fear is those, is those decisions eventually just getting into the real pioneer, right? Yeah, exactly. Like Explorer is not really a format, right? It's like the boyfriend that you have at home or whatever. <laughs> but... Arena is the money-making engine for Watsi. So even though like it's not a real format, it probably generates a lot more resources for Watsi than Pioneer does. And so therefore, it probably has a lot more sway uh, with the decisions that they're going to make. So yeah, I'm very alarmed as a Pioneer player that like somehow Arena's weird focus on like free-to-play encourages people to just get in games in best of one. Well, if you're going to just get in a bunch of games in best of one, you just can play a Tibalt Trickery deck and 
or what Notre Dame can just mulligan to the nuts and just, you know, get enough wins that day to, you know, check your box. And then somehow that means that the entire format gets altered. It's just, this this is not the way. I mean, best of one is such a, it's two huge differences, right? First of all, best of one, it's a completely different game from any axis you want to look at it. Like one of the essences of magic is the cyborg. And secondly, the different platform you're playing. Arena and MTGO are practically two completely related games. And let's just say Best of One has not been a competitive magic format of any kind for like 30 years. Has it ever been? No, that's the whole point is the only place that's played competitively Best of One is just Arena. And it's just, again, because they have this model of free to play, you know, they just want something that you can kind of spam decks. So like that shouldn't have anything to do with anything. Like that should just have its own weird, you know, just shuffle the format all the time. But of course you can't because they're trying to soak you for wild cards and people get upset. So the whole just feeds from from a bunch of basic mistakes with Arena and, and then it propagates forward to possibly infect the actual Pioneer format, the actual, the real format uh, the, that's only played on MTGO. That's the real fear. What they do in Explorer could matter much. I don't, I don't think anyone could care less about it. However, we have David here just trembling for his favorite format. Look what you did, Arena players. Look what you did. <laughs> well, we'll see, right? We won't get mad ahead of time, but there's some writing on the wall that makes us a little nervous. So with Winona being banned in Explorer, I think a lot of people are just starting to wonder what would happen to Pioneer. Like, do people want these bans in Pioneer? I have read a lot of new agendas regarding the topic as a lot of people pour into the format due to the Pro Tour being announced. Like, and we would love to hear what our lovely our favorite local player in pioneer has to think about it yeah i think the default is that players that aren't invested in pioneer only started playing it probably in the last couple months and then just you know spam the same kind of deck all the time they are very pro ban right that's what you're getting from people that aren't invested right they, they start playing and whatever deck that they want to play uh loses to winota or it loses to um Lotus Field or whatever. And so the first thing that they do is they want to ban. And I think it's really unfortunate, right? So the people that have like built the format, built the metagame, they have ways to compete. And when you look at the top eights, you don't see that it's dominated by Lotus Field. You don't see that it's dominated by Blue Red Phoenix. And you don't see that it's dominated by Winota. We know that the criteria that they ban on is really uh, opaque right now. So yeah, I, I think my default position is I don't think they should ban anything. And if they want to do something to mix up the format, then I think they should unban cards. Okay, so do you, do you have like a specific order you would like to unban? And if so, just, just unbanning, right? No bans and hope it shakes up in the correct way? My, my proposal would be, well, A, I don't think you have to do anything. You don't have to ban or unban anything. I think the format's pretty balanced. You see actually a churn just like you did in Modern where some week, you know, Phoenix was good, but it, it's not multiple decks in the top eight every challenge. If it's so easy to top eight a, a challenge with Phoenix, it, it should just be full of people doing that, but it isn't, right? And the decks are actually good against each other. Winota is very good against Lotus Field. Blue Red Xerox is very good against Winota. And, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the cards that I would unban is, first of all, I would just ban the companion mechanic. I'm just going to say this every time we talk about bans. It's the stupidest thing in the world. Why? And then you could unban Luris. <laughs> why are you going to do this? Why are you going to make me an enemy of... Why are you going to make me an enemy of your position? Like, uh, so fast. Why are you going to come forward and make yourself an enemy at the, at, at the first moment of speaking? Now we're going to say everything you say is wrong. Clearly, we need to ban everything in this format. Clearly, Pioneer is broken and we can never, never trust anything David says. It, it might be worth saying that there basically aren't companions at all in the format. Uh, you'll occasionally see Gigantha in a few of the blue-red lists. Uh, Gigantha's also played in the Ascendancy list, but it's it's actually 
pretty rare. And then there's a few Urion lists, but those are all actually quite bad. It's just a bad format for Urion right now. The goal. The goal of this man. Just a personal <laughs> attack after a personal attack. I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> so, all right. Beyond the companion mechanic, I think you can unban the looter scooter, right? I don't think it's obvious that this card is better than Ledger Shredder. And I think it's quite obvious that this card is worse than Expressive Iteration, uh, is worse than Mana Elf, is worse than Lotus Field, is worse than Winota. The, the, even the logic when this card was banned was wild. They The assertion was that Mono Black aggro was just like absolutely unbeatable. People couldn't do anything about it. And I, I didn't agree with it then. Like it and Oko were in the same format together and <laughs> and it got banned first. Like Oko was legal for multiple weeks after uh, a Smuggler's Copter was banned. So that tells you, like, the way that they were understanding the format then was very, very strange, right? There's no way that there's a format where Oko is fine and <laughs> and Smuggler's Copter is is not fine, right? That that just doesn't compute, especially people that maybe only now, even younger players, just hear about, like, Oko is legend. Like, oh, man, this insane three-mana Planeswalker. It's like, yeah, this card got banned way after this two-mana 3-3 three, three kind of flying artifact. No, that's just, that was just a mistake. Like, there's no other explanation. And, you know, one of the arguments that people had is because it's colorless, it goes in every deck, right? But I don't think that's true. Uh, I don't think that any of the Phoenix players would play it because they don't have enough creatures. In fact, decks with a lot of creatures, like lower-to-the-ground aggro decks that might play this, are really, really rare, right? In top eights and challenges, you don't see a lot of decks that would play uh, this card. So I think this card is actually would actually open stuff up. We'd actually see mono-black aggro again, possibly. Um... Would it be maybe too good in like a Mardu Greasefang shell? Maybe, but you know, Greasefang has four or five different builds and, and the Mardu one maybe becomes the most popular, but we'd have to see it. I just, this card was banned before a bunch of the common removal that's played right now, including March and Portable Hole, which actually get rid of it even when it's not a creature. I think this card is, is very reasonable to unban. I think, I think it's significantly worse than a handful of cards that are currently legal and I'm not 100% convinced that it's better than Ledger Shredder. Okay, I think Lesser Shred is better. I agree with that. Maybe not specifically in Grease Funk due to a lot of additional synergies, but it seems like a good argument to justify a ban, right? Like Lesser Shred is doing 99% of what it does without requiring you to run a lot of creatures to support it. Yeah, Ledger Shredder lets you play like Thoughtseize and and uh, Consider, right? Which are which are cards that certain builds of the, the whatever various lists want to play. This makes you play stuff, you know, like creatures. You have to actually play like a one, one on one, and then you have to play this on two, and then you have to play a three, three on three or whatever. Like those decks just don't exist, right? That this curve out like creature, this three drop, four drop. Yeah, I just, I just think this is very reasonable. You'd, you'd have to, I, you'd have to show me that this card is actually worse than, than Mana Elf or Treasure Cruise or Expressive Iteration before I believe you. Worse in the regard of strong, of more offensive to the format, not in quality card. Well, even in quality card, I mean, what? <laughs> Like, you're telling me I can play with four Expressive Iteration or I can play with four Smuggler's Copter. Like, which of those cards, what, what deck sounds more powerful no, okay, I don't in know. the abstract? Yeah, of course. Expressive Iteration is always better. Yeah, okay. Looter Scooter is a really, is a really, is an argument I can really stand behind. I think they banned it mostly out of fear from a really early format where aggro was king. And that's not what the format is at the moment, like, at all. Cheap creature aggro is not what works in the format right now. Yeah, that, that'd be the, the one card I would say. Then the other two cards do technically allow for combos, but I still think the it allows for a, a, a variety of extra types of shells in the, in the format. So the first one is Walking Ballista. Uh, this was played very commonly in a mono-white combo deck with Heliod. 
But I mean, that is again, a creature-based combo that's disrupted by all the removal, but it kills way, way slower than Winota, which is a creature-based combo that can kill you very quickly or create a board that will kill you very quickly. Also, now that March is legal, you actually have a way, like our control or any deck playing white actually has a way to just get rid of Heliod, which didn't even exist before. So yeah, I, I just I just don't think that this card uh, does bad things for the format. I actually think it basically creates that mono white list again. It gives tools to mono green, and I think you could probably make a uh, like a scales deck good again, uh, where you have an actual payoff, like something that really can like turbo out uh, you know a game winning uh, board if if you ha- if you kind of do your scales thing. Yeah, Ballista is always the best player for those kind of decks, especially against creature decks. Ballista is the way to just say this game is over. A 6-6 Ballista is what's going to put the nail on the coffin and just finish the game. Because it's both a creature that hits you for 12 or a board wipe. Yeah. But, you know, like the big mana part of the format doesn't exist. So it's never going to be, you know, you're not going to be able to play a 6-6 <laughs> because you don't have, you know, Urza lands or whatever. No, no. Also, it's the only card I can think about. But yeah, I mean, it's like... You look at the mono white list that people, you know, it's a quote unquote combo list. It's like, look at the cards they were playing. Just the card quality is so bad. And you look at the format now, it's like, oh my God, they're playing Augury Owl, like on four. Like, how am I ever going to beat this three, three that draws a card? It's like, I don't know, man. I I think Phoenix or Winota can find a way if they tap out on turn four and play a Phantom Monster that draws a card. I think that, I think they might be able to do it. I'd have to, you know, double check uh, the numbers on that one, but not Augury Owl. I'm saying the wrong card. You're saying. It's four blue-white hybrid mana. Yeah, four mana three three. Ar- Argyle's one and a blue for a one-one. You're saying the four mana three three from Eldrain. Yeah. Arcanist Toll. Arcanist Toll, yeah. That one. That's so low quality, but so much devotion. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you're talking about a deck that was playing four of those. Um, I just, I'm just not a believer that Walking Blessed turning that deck into a combo deck is some sort of like format breaker, and I don't think it's that different or much harder or easier to interact with than the existing one with the uh, book. Yeah, the angel one. Yeah, the the angel book tar- targeting um, the uh, the mutable. You know, to me, this this just seems like a very reasonable card. Again, it because it's disrupted by creature removal, like push just always kills it, right? You, you're you're not having to play special cards to kill walking ballista. You just you just can do it. Okay, yeah. Like the form, a lot of people complain about the ban the moment it came. I think what they were complaining about has become reality, which is the card, the combo was not as powerful as people think. It was more, more likely that more than, it was more of a moment of the format is really new. People don't really know how to play it or what to expect. And this is the first thing that people came out with that was a consistent square combo deck, right? Besides the next card you're gonna mention, it was like the first ones to just go ahead. Well, the other thing is how inconsistent it was, right? So at the time, the decks you could play were Lotus Combo, Mono White, quote-unquote, combo with Walking Ballista, the uh, Inverter Combo with Dig Through Time, uh, and then, like, basically, like, a Mono Red, you know, like, aggro that was also Hate, and then, or, like, a Mono Black aggro. But the, the reality is... Lotus Field still is a combo. Like, it's unclear why that combo, which is way hard to interact with because it's really hard to target uh lands that are hexproof um like that's okay but like a walking ballist and Winota's functionally a combo deck let's be honest that has like a backup plan of ramping and playing like four and five drops so you can't just be all in on the combo hate walking ballista is a very similar card in my mind to Winota. it requires the white tech to play very low quality cards 
It can win with the nut draw at a certain point. It actually is very weak to a bunch of removal. March is actually insane against it because it kills Heliod or for one white mana just is a source of plowshares of the Ballista. And another card I think they could unban on the same topic is Kethys. The Kethys combo wasn't even played when it got banned. It was very much a preemptive ban because, again, the, the stereotype of Pioneer was that it was very combo-centric, which was true, and they were just trying to get rid of the combos. Why Lotus Field just dodged the bullet at the time, I don't know. But Kethys is a weaker combo than Lotus that's also easier to disrupt. And what, what happened, I think, with the Lotus Field, it's like it didn't dodge the bullet, they just fired the wrong round. Because if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> they banned the bridge and hope it was enough. Underworld Rage, I think? They banned the red enchantment that let you cast spells from... So they, they fired at Lotus... They just fired the wrong bullet. They had, to kill it, they had to kill it from, like, the roots. And they just thought, maybe if we trim it a bit, it will be fine. And it wasn't. And that was their huge punishment. Yeah, and I always laugh because we... Well, I joked, I think, even that the week afterwards when I lost to Lotus Field. I was like, the thing about Breach is it was a deterministic kill. So you could throw down very comfortably. Like, okay, they, they win. I know, I know. I see the cards. But without it, they might not win. <laughs> so you have to sit there. It was like KCI in Modern, which is like... Yes, exactly. So like, all right, I draw three and I discard two and untap two lands. Like, okay, I mean, you still might have bricked. <laughs> so keep going. <laughs> I draw three more. So so Kethys gets hit by all the stuff we're already having to run on our sideboards to stop all the other combo decks. So Cage and Runestone, stop it. Stop you from playing cards from Graveyard. Archon of Emeria, Damping Sphere, Deafening Silence, Rest in Peace, the Hearst Trespasser Goblank, Pithing Needle. And then all the hate we're running for Winota also hits <laughs> Kethys. So... Grasp, Ray of Enfeeblement, Rending Volley, Fry, uh, Ethergust, because Kethys is also green. All these cards are also good against Kethys. So I'm not saying that like Kethys adds positive play patterns, but they aren't more negative than Lotus, and it's actually way easier to disrupt. I mean, basically, I just named all the cards that should be in your sideboard. You just bring in 15 cards, probably, even if you're not expecting to play Kethys. You're like, all right, I have these Ethergusts in my sideboard to stop, you know, uh, Niv-Mizzet and, and uh, Winota, and then I've got, you know, Rest in Peace for Phoenix and blah, blah, blah. It's like, you just, Kethys just won't won't be a good deck. I don't, I, I didn't even know Kethys, I'm not gonna lie. When I saw this list, I was like, wait, Kethys is banned? It seems like... That's what people said when it was banned. It's like, you know, my dad one time, this was a funny story, he came down uh, while we were like having dinner and announced to the family he decided to stop drinking. And we were like, you don't drink. Like, what the hell? I mean, my dad is like, not a teetotaler, but he probably has like two glasses of rum a year. It's just like the craziest thing in the world. Like, what are you talking about? We just laugh so much. He's like, all right, well, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I want to go drink some rum. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what? It's just an insane, you know, it's. It, yeah, that's exactly how I felt. I was like, you're talking about, yeah, they should have banned Kethy. It's, it's clearly not strong enough to be banned. And I'm just here like. It got banned? It seems like just... I, I never even saw that many deck lists when the format started. It was... It's so yeah, it was It was never good. That's what... Even when it got banned, people were like, wait, why? I mean, again, it was, it was a preemptive thing. They just wanted to get rid of combo. If they thought they got rid of these other combos, this would be the best combo. We know that there are players that are really good at tweaking out combos, that love exploring combos. They would probably find a way to make Kethys a playable deck. Again... That version of the Kethys deck would be way, way weaker than Winota. So the combo itself is worse. It's harder to assemble. And then once it's assembled, it's actually much easier to disrupt. And I think you even have to play lower quality cards, right? That one in a blue 1-3 that mills you when you cast legendary spells. Like, that's just a bad card. It dies to Fatal Push or whatever. So, again, the 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 I will say that the argument that a person could make that if we want to steel man the argument against this is, if Kethys is good, then the uh, ban was a mistake, right? And the play patterns of Kethys are bad. 
And if it's really bad, if it's so bad it won't see play, then then what's the point of unbanning it, right? So there's very little to be gained. At the same time, like, I just don't think cards should be banned just because someone at one point thought they were banned. Like, you could unban Kethis and not see it in a 5-0 dump for months would be my prediction. I agree. Like, the only way... I, I'm not quite sure what the Kethis combo was, so I'm just I'm just talking more of, as a thought rather than, a, than as something specific. But how annoying was the combo potentially? Like, was it, like, KCI levels of annoying yeah yeah it was because you had to cast mox amber out of your graveyard and then it triggers a thing that mills and then you'd mill all the way down and yeah but it, and it wasn't deterministic right sometimes it could be like if you had the two ambers but otherwise you were just like milling hoping to hit more <laughs> you know whatever i think sometimes like how annoying it is to play against has like like that's the argument they gave for kci that's the argument they yeah. get to keep punishing fireband sometimes it's just being annoying is enough not trying to benefit the four players that want to play it. Let's just not make suffer the other 500. Yeah, but to me, it's just like they play it. They cast their first thing from the graveyard. I fry it, which I'm already playing, like I said, because I have to kill uh, uh, Winota. Like, all right, that's dead. The annoying turn is over. You know, whatever. Trespasser, exile their graveyard, start beating them down. It's like after enough people O2 with Kethis, you're like, well, playing this worst Lotus Field for no reason uh, doesn't feel very good. Okay, so we have talked about the cards you would like to abandon that you think... Potentially, they should do nothing, but if they were to do something, that would be the ideal move. However, there's most of the talk is about ban, and people want bans, people want blood, people love a good witch, a witch hunt. So, which are the witches of the format? So, I think the two decks that people think about needing to be banned are the Lotus Field deck, which has definitely gotten a lot better with the new, you know, tutorable, uncounterable, uh, unthought seizable um, land, right? That that blows up the common hate. Yeah, Bosesho being Bosesho removing anything that's not a creature becomes annoying. Yes, and so that's why you've actually seen a lot of white creatures become very good, right? Uh, Thalia, uh, Rydain, um, the 2-3 that makes their non-basic lands come into play tapped and you can only cast one spell a turn. Archon of Hamedia. Is actually better than Eidolon of Rhetoric because Eidolon of Rhetoric being an enchantment is somehow a huge negative yeah. uh, because of Boseju. So I would only ban, if it was me, Hidden Strings... Because I think that basically kills the deck, and it lets me continue to go like 2-3-3-2 two, three, three, two with various uh, Teferi brews with Lotus Field. And I think the other players that are getting donated, you know, my like 45% win rate would also appreciate that. Like, just leave Lotus Field around, let the the degens, like the people who are still going to play the combo no matter what, they'll play it and it'll be bad. We save a bunch of slots in our sideboard, and, uh, you know, I can still play a terrible Lotus Field deck if I really want to. So you're more of the idea that rather than just outright killing the combo, nerfing it enough, it's going to be only a psycho thing. Yeah, and and I just think Lotus Field is a cool card. Like, if you're not doing the stupid thing with it, it's interesting with Brotback. It's interesting with Teferi. It's interesting with um, the 1-3 flying white creature that uh, counters triggers unless you pay two more. It's interesting with Blood Sun. There's just a lot of, like, fair ways to do it, and all those decks... Are a little inconsistent, right? Because they're much better when they draw the one piece plus the lotus field. Sometimes it's you draw the lotus field, not enough lands, etc. So that's the kind of trade-off. the The version that exists now is like super consistent. It's going to kill you on turn four or five. It's going to often kill you on turn five through one hate piece. So yeah, if, if people don't like it, I understand. Obviously, I've complained about it a lot. I just think like either unban some of these other faux combos that would give people like you could like being able to play a mono white list that has the walking ballista finish is going to be really good against lotus field and really bad against fair decks 
right? Yeah. So that that mono whitelist is going to be awesome against Lotus Field. You can play all these white creatures that just hate it out, and you have this combo finish that they don't interact with. But it's going to be tough for that deck to compete with like blue white control or black red mid range because they're just so disruptive, and then their clock is fast. So either like legalize some of these other interesting cards, or I think you, you're going to want to. I think and, and I I expect again. I expect them to ban something from Winota and something from hidden uh, from the Lotus Field deck before the Pro Tour. Okay. And I think it, I think they'll actually just ban Lotus Field, and I think they're going to ban Winota. Um, it, you know, when Winota was first in the format, I always laughed with at Dan. I said I knew my deck was bad if I lost to it because I think I went like twenty two and zero for a while. It was just all in on the Winota, and you know, it's been playing various versions, and it just keeps getting like a little bit better, right? First, it was Lotus Cobra. That was the first card that you play that Lotus Cobra turn two after they kill your mana elf. Turn three, you could just play Winota attack, get your trigger. Yeah, that was like, so they, that was when people realized how to actually play the deck. Yeah, and Lotus Cobra was, you know, was a, a new card, right? It wasn't a card that they had access to before. And then all of a sudden, I think people really have to learn about what come into play abilities are. Like, Innkeeper seems like it's worse than Lotus Cobra. It's just better. You always get the ramp. And then you get the Fable and Chariot, right? So the fair playing gets a lot better. Your ability to find Winota is a lot higher. And again, these come into play abilities, people don't really get them. I I saw a lot of quote-unquote pros who are quote-unquote experts in Pioneer talking about how Gallagreeders was going to be a big upgrade for Winota. We're weeks in, no one ever is playing Gallagreeders because it doesn't do anything when it comes into play. People just like don't get how Winota functions. The way they talk about the deck is just so strange. Um... But, you know, each, each of these minor upgrades has led the deck from being, like, a very, very mediocre deck that had to get super lucky to a very, very fine deck. Even when it doesn't draw Winota, it can win lots of games where it just turn two, turn three, turn four, and you've, you've added a bunch of power to the board. And maybe I felt like I could never tap out because I'm worried about Winota, but you're, like, hitting me with Voice of Resurgence and hitting me with Chariot. Yeah, you have to constantly be on your toes due to win. It works in a really similar way. I have made this comparison a lot. Winota is the Yogmoth of modern, of Pioneer, in that they're just playing a seemingly nerfed aggro deck that all of a sudden can combo you out. Like, you have to keep on your toes ready for the combo. They're playing a lot of resilient creatures. And if you keep playing around the combo, you're going to die to the beatdown. And that's the perfect mixture. Like, it dances in. Yeah, and, and the fact that the commonly played removal is not able to kill Winota is the really problematic thing, right? There's no, um, you know, flash free elemental. Fatal push is very rarely turned on. That's one of the reasons why, you know, I was the first person or one of the first person to push Deadly Dispute in the format. When it caught on, it's just like, it always gave you these crazy outs to just stop the Winota, like nut draws, because you'd always have a treasure lying around. Uh, and you, and you can draw to your push. Like, you just have these desperation turns, and like, if you kill Winota the turn they play it, and then, now all of a sudden their 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 keep looks really loose, right? Yeah, I mean that's exactly what we were talking about. They're playing coming to play creatures in order to be able to play around removal, but if you just time walk their four mana turn with a one mana spell, all of a sudden the plan really collapses. Like it's a really, really tempo negative play to play uh Winota have it die. That's why it's unplayable in modern. Yeah, exactly. So Winota is a card that warps the format. You see huge amounts of sideboard space dedicated to it, right? Like Graft Digger's Cage, a bunch of the cards we just named that are very good against Kethis are all cards, you know, we don't have to list them all, but you need to play some of those versions. A lot of the mana bases I build probably have a little bit worse mana just so they can play a few Fable Passages just to give me some outs uh, to hit Winota. So yeah, it's frustrating to play against as somebody who really like enjoyed smoking Winota for a long time. Now it's like, you know, when your little sibling like grows up and they're bigger than you and they're like, you know, kicking the shit out of you and you're playing like football in your backyard. American football, you son of a bitch, not Argentinian football. <laughs> um, Don't you dare. I thought you were going to say the S word. 
<laughs> and that so you come you come into you come into my house, you insult my Yorion, you insult my companion rule, and then you attack my national sport. I don't even play football, but if you dare call it soccer, we're <laughs> gonna have a problem in our hands. So I think I think you need to ban those cards in concert because Winoda actually keeps um, Lotus Field in check. It's really good against it. And then I think if you ban Winoda, then you need to ban something from the blue red Xerox list. And I think I don't I don't know exactly what to ban there. So right now I think most decks play three to four treasure crews and then maybe one other delve spell. Often it is the turn spell, right? If if they're taking a bunch of so I don't know if just banning treasure crews is enough. Like, would they just play like three uh, temporal trespass and like two um, dig through time? Like, yeah, it's a little worse, but not much. I do think that treasure crews is much better than dig in the format, and it's interesting how little dig through time is played. Most of the control decks don't play any, which is always really surprising to me. Not playing dig through time in control is something that really surprises me, but or treasure crews even. But I think the biggest thing here is. From what you have said so far and what every what I have heard most people say, people really want Lotus and Winota to disappear from the format entirely and Xerox decks to only get nerfed. Like, because the other two will get removed and want it to reign supreme. So it's like a mixture of eliminate the top two threats and make sure the third one doesn't get out of hand. Yeah, and so it's interesting to me, like, I, I don't know what I would do there. Uh, again, my, my default position is to not ban anything and unban. But if you made me, like, I have to make blue-red worse, I would for sure ban Treasure Cruise. And I just don't know if that actually affects the deck that much. Like, if I if I have to play two Dig Through Time and three Temporal Trespass, I lose some percentage points. Like, the blue-blue actually ends up mattering, maybe, uh, because they are playing Pathways. Is, is actually Expressive Iteration better than the other spells? Like, if I ban Treasure Cruise and Expressive Iteration and just leave Dig and Temporal trespass i don't know i mean it's an interesting question it's quite shocking to think about the fact that banning expressive iteration is so much more painful than banning a dig through time the fact like in a format less powerful than modern the fact you can say okay let's banning expressive iteration is more harmful than banning dig through time just shocks me to no end yeah, and the thought was like oh if you ban dig through time you heard these other decks it's like most control decks don't play dig or if they do they play maybe one and then like lotus field which is a deck i again i don't mind making weaker i I've seen the best list. Don't play any. Yeah. So I, at first I couldn't believe it. Like, oh, they're only playing two. Yeah, all right. And then it's just like, oh, we're not going to play any. Like, it's like, what the hell? They just cut it out. Another trespass and another two for one. And they're, def- they're fine. It's not going to destroy them. I think if you ban Lotus Field, then you need to ban something from Winota. And then you need to ban something from the Xerox list. And, and I think those are all like a cascading series of decisions. So maybe maybe Pioneer is better without them. Again, I, I know that they don't have the guts to do this. But what I would propose to them is they should schedule like a big celebratory weekend with a bunch of tournaments with real prizes with the proposed band list and see what the decks look like, see what the format looks like. That would be great. And then if it doesn't look that sweet, just... Like, I don't, like, again, I'm a scientist. I like the data. So it's like, let's run a thing and then whatever. The rewards are enough that you know all the best players will play. And so Canister will be there with whatever list he's going to play and Aspiring Spike and and whoever whoever your pioneer, you know, Claudio. And like, all right, if Five Color, like, Niv-Mizzet wins and Blue-Red Phoenix doesn't even get near the top 32 with, with whatever ban, it's like, okay, that's too far. Like, I, the levers are so complicated because you're going to have to ban a bunch of stuff at once. You get stuff where, they're like, Kathis is banned and nobody even knows it. Yeah. And, and I think they're, they're at a point where if they let it go too too far they're gonna ban too much at once again it's like someone's gonna join later and like why the hell is temporal trespass banned in this format like yeah i, I get where you're coming from but i i just hope 
like I, what I have heard from most people is some sort of ban is almost needed. However, you're you're writing that most people asking for bans are people new to the format, like the new way of players that are just coming a few weeks and maybe they will get used to it and that's fine. But let's see what the future holds. There was once a dog in Twitter with I can't re- I can't re- remember exactly who it was. It was from from Wizards of the Coast saying that they had considered and they were open to, to the suggestions of for one week having a modern league with specific bans or specific unbans. So like it was an open possibility, like it wasn't something co- completely unheard of. And I think that's sort of the perfect thing, right? Leagues with two or three different bans and maybe one challenge, like really, it's not really time consuming, it's not resource consuming, and it's allowing people to see what the format would be like. Yeah, and it's something you can do easily on Magic Online that you can't do on Arena, right? Because Arena requires you to craft these things and then they have to refund them. Magic Online, you just go to a rental service, all right? I, I put four smugglers copters in my uh, thing. They're only worth whatever, two ticks. I don't even know what they're worth. And it's like, all right, okay, they are too good. If someone tells me in their heart of heart, if you unban smugglers copter, mono black is going to dominate the format i'm just like this is a guy who's t- who's telling you that gala greeters is going to be great in winota that's what that's what i'm telling you so if you think all greeters is great in winota then you should definitely continue to insist on <laughs> a smuggler's copter being banned with that we're leaving the pioneer talk for a second and we're heading to what's new for the whole world of magic yes first of all this weekend we have the new capena championship so one of the last online produce is coming to us this weekend. I'm not gonna lie, I just re- I just knew the date because I ha- I had heard some friends or like people I know from Twitter discussing they were testing. But besides that, I never got into online produce. They just cannot. They, I cannot. They cannot catch my attention long enough. Yeah, the game itself, I think, is just not attractive online. The the narrative, the people involved, it just it, there's something missing. I'm not 100 percent sure what I it is. I couldn't tell you what it is. Like I cannot say it's bad because it wouldn't be truth. I just I don't know. It doesn't get me. Like seeing paper play always was so much more tangible for me, and maybe that's a thing. But ignoring that, I think practically everybody that hears us is almost on the same boat. Some people are going to listen to it. If they do, please send me in any great moments. I love to see the specific great moments, but I'm not going to watch the whole thing. And something quite a bit more charming is Commander Legend Battle for Baldur's Gate. So we got Commander Legends 2 coming up, which is the Draft Commander product. Yeah, I mean... Also, Baldur's Gate uh, is a Dungeons and Dragons video game that those of us who are old like me remember playing. Baldur's Gate 2 is so awesome. It's one of the awesome role-playing games of all time. All these characters that are referenced are all from the the either a Dungeons and Dragons product from the actual Baldur's Gate 1 or Baldur's Gate 2. Or Baldur's Gate 3. Yeah, or Baldur's Gate 3. You just went like people old like me and I'm like, um, I haven't played Baldur's Gate 3, which is two years old. You don't have to be old. You just need to have the new game. <laughs> But Baldur's Gate 2 is the is the classic, right? It, that's the one that like put everything yeah. on the map. Like it, it's it's the antecedent from which a bunch of other like games and, and the way that people uh, play online uh, go from. So yeah, it's a Diablo 2 of the Baldur's Gate series. It's the one that made it big. Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> it's Empire Strikes Back of of, of the of the D and D series. This comes with first of all some lovely cards. Second of all, some lovely mechanics, which I would love to just slowly go into because they're particularly interesting. The first one, which is choose a background. So this is a commander-only mechanic, which re- which allows you to play... If, you're, if your commander, which is a creature, has choose a background, it allows you to have a secondary commander, which is an enchantment that has the background type. So for example, you can have a, a Lulu Loyal Holy Fant, 
and a background called Race by Giants, which makes your commander creatures be 10-10s, and our Giants agents with other types, as your two commanders. So the the background card also is in the command zone and may be cast from the command zone? Exactly. It's exactly that. You start a game with two commanders, one being a creature and one being a legendary enchantment, which has the background type. The creature has to have the choose a background in its ruling. And we have some beautiful creatures. We have an elephant ancient, everybody. <laughs> Lulu the loyal holophant. And the best bear in the history of magic because it has so many. It, it, it's the questing beast of bears. Yes, that's right. It has a lot of abilities. And then we have Take Initiative, which is so unnecessarily complex. So a lot of creatures have, or spells have, when it does something when it enters the battlefield, you take the initiative. It's the monarch of Baldur's Gate 2. Once you take the initiative, so the moment you trigger it, or at your upkeep, you go into the Under City, which is an initiative-specific dungeon. This is a dungeon you cannot enter without enter the dungeons cards, only via the initiative. So whenever a card makes you take the initiative or in your upkeep, you go down into the Under City. So first step, you search for a basic land to your hand, then you get to scratch your put counters, then you get to go to a creature, make a treasure token, or open and lose a five life. Final um, second to last is draw a card of four one token, or finally. Look at the top 10, top 10 cards, put a creature from among them into play. It gets Hexproof until your next turn, and it enters with three counters. All in all, we have a dungeon crawling monarch that gets taken via combat as well. Yeah, I mean, the uh, I don't know why it's phrased to take the initiative. Obviously, you're specifically having to venture into uh, the Undercity. I really liked the idea of dungeons, but I thought that the actual execution was poor. I like the idea of a much more powerful dungeon with more restrictive venturing. Yeah, I think if they had just if they had just made the dungeons a little bit differently, if they had had actual interesting trade offs in some of the decisions that you made, yeah, I, you know, I, you can see already in a, what's the arena format where they altered all the cards. Um, alchemy. Yeah, you can see they were like, oh, we they like that tacit acknowledgement, like we actually fucked up, we really blew it with the with the way that we designed the adventure cards, right? They had to tweak all these casting costs, they had to do all the stuff, and it still isn't that powerful. And venturing is just doesn't feel that fun or different because there's very few choices to make. Actually, this one actually has a bunch of powerful effects like even the first entrance just getting a basic land is so much better than the first venture in any, any other place it'd be cool if you like for instance had a dungeon with something really good on the first venture and then the effects got progressively worse and then the final one was like very negative for you but the ventures aren't may okay so you'd like draw a card with your first venture and then the second one is you know whatever scry one and then but the finally the last one's like you take four damage or something i'm just making it like there's all these things they could have done and said so they like basically made two one that two that were very similar and one that gave you a little bit more and then the one that had the two paths but the the negative path was so negative you it was not worth it to get a to get a four four faster it's like four fours are two mana now in modern magic so i like the idea but still just i don't know it, it feels like they just can't get it right and in this one so this one is gonna get a bit annoying because it's like the monarch so they take it in combat and it triggers on upkeep instead of end step so there's gonna be games that are gonna have to track the initiative and the monarchy they just went with some convoluted stuff and finally we get Baldur's Gate, which has amazing flavor text. <laughs> of course, I know what eponymous means. It's a little horse. Priest, gate card, Baldur's Gate, legendary land, gate. Which taps for colorless, or you tap two and it acts and tap it itself, and you add X mana where X is the number of gates you control. So it's like the gate lord in a gate, in Baldur's Gate. Yeah, it comes It comes in untapped, which is already super awesome in the gates deck. And yes, very few deck uh, lands that can do that. And then, yeah, it's like Cabal Coffers, I guess. Cabal Coffers for gates. I mean, it's... <laughs> do the new gates enter tap? 
Uh, I don't know. They printed 10 new... They are coming up with 10 new gates. Find new gates, which is they just tap for your color. Like, they tap for one color and you choose the other one. That's how it works. I think they enter tapped, yeah. So there's the other cycle of gates. So we have like 15 gates for your Baldur's Gate Commander deck. Finally, we have... Well, not finally. Last two topics. The Warhammer 40k Commander decks have been spoiled. There's a lot of new cards. A lot of people really excited. A lot of people already complaining about them. Because we magic players will have to complain. I'm happy f- Absolutely. I'm happy for them. I'm also happy for Lord of the Rings, which is like the same group of people. You hate both or you like both. No middle point. <laughs> and the new art for Fabricate looks insanely good. I love people complaining because Blood for the Blood God has an exclamation mark in the name. Such a nitpick. So many people complaining. Yeah, that's very strange. But to your point, I mean, that's why Wizards probably just doesn't give a shit what people say. Because it's like, oh, you're complaining about that? Like, how are, how are we to differentiate that complaint from like, oh, you're you're kind of rinsing us on uh, these arena, you know, yeah. economy. Like, well, we're just hearing complaints from everybody. And like, we can't make anyone happy if they're going to complain about an exclamation mark. Why even like gesture towards fixing the other real problems? And then we have Double Masters coming, Brennan's is confirmed, a lot of really interesting red prints, only red prints, double the price, double the rares. Dominion United is coming first, first, second week of September, so we have a long time coming till the next standard expansion. And the most important part, I think, the game day promos from July look amazingly good. Yeah, they're beautiful. So every player gets a Flame Slash. Top eight players get a really beautiful Archmage's Charm. And if you win, you get to take home a very, very sweet Dark Confidant. I'm a little ambivalent about, speaking of magic players, always complaining. I don't like, I don't like that they reprint cards that were, you know, designed with someone in mind, right? I don't like that they printed a new meddling mage without, you know, Chris Picula being there. I wouldn't like if they printed a new Avalanche Rider without whoever was on there. I think, so I'm going to, for one, I'm going to be the David in this chat. The fact you don't remember who is in Avalanche Rider makes it so the whole claim. <laughs> I mean, I know what you mean. I know cards are designed based on someone, but they have their card. Um, my only complaint is that Confident wasn't saved in Lord of the Rings and it's Grim a Warm Tongue. Oh. Mm, That's my only complaint. Like that. And if you want to play, like, Jun from six years ago, this Dark Conference is, like, still modern playable. <laughs> it's still modern legal, everybody. Also Flameslash. It's, it's absolutely modern legal. So, Flameslash used to see some play. Yeah. In the, day of, in the year of our Lord 2014, Flameslash was a modern staple. So, yeah. If you want to relive what uh, modern was like in the dying years of the uh, Obama presidency, I would highly recommend uh, going to uh, Battle in the Stored Championships in July. The Archmage's Charm especially is super sweet. It looks beautiful. The Teferi Scepter plus the Teferi face on the side. Yeah, it's a fairy's back there looking like a badass. Everything about it. What a lot of people might have been expecting. Don't worry, everybody. We have the time. We have the timestamp. If someone wanted to check this, they could have skipped here. I feel no embarrassment and I feel no guilt for them. Shoran of the Skulls. So Shoran of the Skulls was the third card, I think, in the monthly project voting. A lot of people were really interested in it. I loved the card a long time ago. I never thought it was gonna do well because why would it? It's so it's beautiful, elegant, and simple, which is like the opposite of Brewer Dream. But here we are. And of course, if you're gonna start with Pioneer, first I think we have to read the card. Yeah, Shadow of the Scalds is uh two colorless, a white and a red for an enchantment saga. The first saga or lore counter exiles the top four cards of your library from the game. You may play them uh, this turn. 
the until the end of your next turn. I'm sorry. The second lore counter says that whenever you cast a spell, you may put a plus one. You must put a plus one plus one counter on a creature. And the third lore counter says the exact same thing. So you get to play a four mana sorcery speed, draw four, sort of, and you have, but you have to use those cards that turn in the next. Exactly. So it's not always great to play on turn four because you often want to get, you know, the two lands you're going to hit from there. Um, and if you have too many clunky spells, this is the big thing that I found. If you have too many clunky spells and you don't have creatures in play, you really don't get as much out of the showdown as you expect to. Showdown requires you to build your deck in a way that you're more than likely going to be able to play at least three cards you're about to get. So you need a not remarkably high curve. You need not a lot of... You cannot play really reactive spells like Contra Spell or such or fill your deck with reactive spells because you're going to be playing against a Sonic's Control and hit like, I don't know, Triple Strangle and be like... This was a mistake. <laughs> and then you need to have enough creatures where the second and third step are going to be relevant. Ideally, if you're playing a low-cost deck, you're playing two or three spells on your turn five or six, and that allows you to put two or three extra counters, which is what makes the card definitely worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Because a four-mana draw four would be playable, but that's not what this is. You're you're probably only going to get you know two to three cards out of it most of the time. Exactly. So, and if I'm going to get two or three cards for four mana... I need the additional upside. So where does that additional upside come for you in Pioneer, David? What do you do to get us there? So I've been really, really fascinated by the ability to play like more hate cards in the main deck. Uh, We talked earlier about how the format is kind of allegedly has degenerate decks. And I think a better way of saying that is that the actual like proactive plans are all have all been determined. We know what they are. And so what you need to be building, and I've, I've been really inspired by the Orzov mid-range list that I've, I've seen floating around in the format. You want a way to take all these cards that aren't that good, and in the matchups where they're good, you have them in your main deck, right? So so I'm main decking four Containment Priest. I'm main decking two Eidolon of Rhetoric. I'm main decking Archon of Sun's Grace. This card is really good against Mono Red, right? So you have all these cards that are amazing in certain matchups, but then what do you do in other matchups? Well, they're all bodies. So Showdown of the Scalds makes your Containment Priest into a threat. Just What you want is just a card in play. Um, same with Eidolon of Rhetoric. Shepherd of the Flock is a card that people kind of took too early. It's a body to absorb counters, and it's also a card that puts Showdown of Scalds back in your hand. Okay. It also does a bunch of other interesting stuff, like... Let's say you have contain. Let's say on they play a two drop. You flash in containment priest on their end of turn, right? You're not playing Winota, so containment priest isn't a great card. You can chain of rocks their creature and then use your shepherd to blink your chain back to your hand. They don't get their creature back, so it's it's functionally like a one mana removal spell. Okay, and same with attention sphere. Okay, I like that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I started actually with this deck playing the. Uh, there's a three white white enchantment. When it or any other enchantment comes into play, you blink a non enchantment permanent Skybind? until turn. Yeah. Yep. I started with that, but that was too clunky. So, but the Shepherd of the Flock, uh, Showdown of the Scalds, it's like a built-in card advantage engine that you want anyway. But it, it also functions like with your quote-unquote hate bear to turn your good removal into insane removal. And then you're just playing a bunch of other cards that are just like value. Like Spirited Companion is a very good card just by itself. Like a two-mana, one-one that draws is playable. With Nico Aris, like blinking it back to your hand, making it unblockable, that is interesting. With Archon of Sun's Grace, it gets better. With Shadow of Scalds, again, it's just a buy that absorbs counters. Uh, same with Knight of the White Orchid, right? Like you play Knight on the draw on turn three, you get to four mana. Well, the problem with Knight is like, oh, it doesn't actually let you play a four drop then. All you can do is play another two drop. We've got a ton of twos. And you actually want to play Shadow of Scalds with your fifth land drop coming. 
Yeah. So it actually curves into it perfectly on the draw. And on the draws, when Showdown of the Skulls is at its worst, because you play it on turn four, right? That's a bad turn if you're behind. So Knight actually plays very well into that. It goes two, two drops on your turn three on the draw into on your turn four, you play Showdown with a land drop coming and a body in theory and play it with Knight and maybe another two drop. And then I'm playing Fable of the Mirror Breaker because it's an enchantment, right? It triggers Archon. And then it, you know, again, it's it's that shuffle. It, all right, Chain of the Rocks is bad in this matchup. So is Eidolon. All right, they're going in the bin. We're drawing something else. And I'm finding whatever the good card is. Yeah, but that's not a three drop you have to sell me on. Which one do you like? You don't, you're not a believer in Nico Aris? You, you can sell me on Eidolon because you said it's called versus Lotus. You can sell me on the detention touch split as touch is also good to get rid of some stuff for some time. Tough. She can only exile creatures, right? Uh, or artifacts. No, no, I mean with the cycle? Or it's all, there are also artifacts? Okay, it's both also the cycle. Uh, why can't it exile enchantments? So, sell me on Nico Aris. All right, Nico Aris is a card I'm, I want to try out for two reasons. One, I like the ability to blink value two drops. So, like, on the play, if I play Spirited Companion into Nico Aris plus, and I get Spirited Companion back into my hand, that, that's just a reasonable thing to do. Two, if I have Nico Aris in play, the, again, when we talk about bad turn fours, like just playing Archon of Sun's Grace and not having an enchantment sucks. Nico Aris minus is to make an enchantment that turn. Okay. And then in all your value matchups, if you draw it in the late game, like all this extra mana, so we have Knight of the White Orchid, we have Fable of the Mirror Breaker making uh, treasures. We just play it for a Jillion with an Archon in play and we can't lose to Mono Red or Phoenix. We just make like six two two flying Pegasi. Okay, now I'm going to say my only real problem with Nico Aris, which is the same problem I have with the Tension Sphere. Which is the same problem I discussed with Danny with your last week <laughs> when we were discussing Luxure. Why do you hate two-colored eggs, David? Why? Why was your Sheskai Luxure beatdown, Sheskai? Why is this blue? Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point. Um, I actually started out uh, experimenting with this without red. It was a, it was a white-blue list. But I like the red cards more. Uh, Nico Aris is not a card I've ever played, uh, except for during our Nico Aris week, which Dan was like weirdly in love with this card. I know it's a card that um, uh, Zan Syed has had some good luck with in standard. So I, it, it's more of an experiment. I will say that Knight of the White Orchid does allow us to splash blue very easily. Okay. And I was going to play four. I was going to play a Triomes no, no matter what. I was going to play four Triomes. So it could be a white, red, green, or white, red, whatever. Um, but if I, I, I feel like I already have the free Triomes from the Knight, basically. So a third color is reasonable. And we only have three blue cards. So it's not like I'm going to be like hosed out of the, the color that matters very often. My only problem with Nico is not the card itself. It's the fact it's double blue. Yeah, that's fair enough. And, and it might be bad. So, I mean... It's, it's easy enough to cut. You could cut the Nico Aris. You could not play Detention Sphere. You could just play White Red. Yeah. So I think this is a great way to start. And if you ever notice any problem with mana or enter two tap, I think this can really swiftly change two autos. Yeah, absolutely. The sideboard does get hurt because I love having access to Dobbin Speed, stuff like Dobbin Speed and Ergas at the sideboard. I think that's the biggest problem with going into autos. Yeah, we'll, we can talk, we'll talk about this on our next podcast, but I played a white-black tokens list splashing just blue for Rafine and was like, oh man, I'm really hurting my mana to do this. And said like Rafine was by far the best card in the deck and the Dovin's Vitals in the sideboard are just insane. They're so good against everything. So that's, that was another thing here. I was just like, man, I really want to play Dovin's Veto on the sideboard. It's good against mono. It's good against like a lot of the aggro decks. Like it's awesome against mono green. It's actually good against Phoenix. It's playable against mono red if you like, but it also like helps all your combo and control matchups. So again, you don't have to play Nico Aris to your point. The mana is really tough there, but splashing blue is pretty easy. If you're going to play for uh Knight of the white orchid, um, you could 
play um, you could just play the one detention sphere main and no other blue card and then just sideboard the vetoes in like a shark typhoon and, and, and a gust which i have here yeah that's something i would be a lot more comfortable with instead of going for a really heavy double blue just having access to blue in the sideboard having access to like maybe the detention spheres which are amazing with containment priest like i just picture going i don't know turn, turn three my brain gets back some phoenixes they tap down i go I mean, you can just contain Memories of Phoenix, right? Before they enter, so don't need to do the Tension Sphere stuff. I'm just selling myself out of it. <laughs> I sold myself into the Tension Sphere and then I sold myself out of it. It was like an instant, <laughs> instant mutation. The other thing that's cool is, and you have to be conscious of this in your own list, Containment Priest actually gets a flipping fable, right? It gets any flipping enchantment. Oh. The creature comes into play in exile. So we get to control if we have Containment Priest in play or not. We can we can Shepherd of the Flock it, etc. But I don't think people realize that. I think you're going to get a bunch of people where their Fable flips and they're just like, oh, what happened? Okay, that's going to hurt with your own Kiki, so that's something to have into consideration. Yep. So the other thing is, like, Shriver loves Nico Aris. It was, like, his favorite card. He was so bummed we didn't even get to do a full week on it. So just in, like, one screenshot of it actually being good, that's worth having terrible mana. I'm going to say that right now. I think it's a card I have always wanted to test, but I never had, I'm going to say, it, the courage instead of what I'm thinking about to do it. <laughs> the, the, the foolish vanity. <laughs> exactly. So I never went for it. I will eventually try it, and this seems like the perfect build to just give it a try. Yeah. And you don't have to play it on turn three, right? You just play something else. Especially because it has the X. So like, there's actually an incentive to play it later. Absolutely. You you want to play it right either right before or right after you resolve an Archon. That's that's its main function. Post Archon, it seems like the dream, right? Like oh, so God, turn four Archon, just... turn five Nico, get two, two, get have three bodies in play to protect it. Well, then you get to minus it to make another one. You get yeah, okay. So yeah, it's it's just in, it's insane specifically with Archon. When I had Skybind, it was also like play it like blink all their creatures if you have a, a Containment Priest in play, but that just seemed a little too. Too many pieces. <laughs> Too many pieces, exactly. All right, enough of my nonsense. Enough of Pioneer. Let's talk about Modern. Okay. You are somebody who has been a huge advocate for this card in Modern. You've tried in a bunch of different shells. Walk us through your first one here. So why, why I went for three different deck lists is because they are using Shorn of the Skulls in two different ways, mostly. This one uses it in a way, and the other two force it on another avenue. This first leak, deck list is Enigmatic Incarnation. A card I think everyone knows I completely love. I have always been enamored by it. And anybody incarnation, form an enchantment. On your end step, you might sacrifice an enchantment and you get a creature that costs one more. So in this deck, what you're using Shadow of the Skull for is not because of its second and third part like in the other deck, like in Pioneer. You're using it because it's a great, it's an enchantment that costs four with an amazing ETB. So it allows you either to dig for your enigmatic and then sacrifice it to get something that stabilizes your board like a fury. Something really common was actually going turn three or four, short of the skulls with a utopia sprawl into finding your enigmatic and turn four or five, playing enigmatic and sacrificing it to get a fury, which allows you to stabilize practically any board, right? And fury getting even maybe one extra plus one plus one counter with double strike is a major threat in addition to stabilizing the board. That's yep. going to help you win a lot of games. So in this deck, what you're doing is you have a lot of amazing, you have a lot of enchantments that have ETVs, Omen of the Forge, Omen of the Seas, Abundant Growth, Dress Down, and well, Shaun of the Skulls as your top end that allows you to find creatures with the Enigmatic Incarnation. So that's the plan in this deck, in the Enigmatic pile. Yeah, I love a lot of the creatures you have here too. So I love always having the one Glass Pool Mimic. You can always, always. do it for the clone. You can tutor for uh, Land Hate because you have a Magus of the Moon. 
You can tutor for a Charming Prince, which I love because you have all these coming to play abilities. And then you have the Renegade Rallier combo with the two drops. And then your fives are just the free elementals and a one Urion main. Exactly. And you practically never got Urion. Most of the time you just won't. That's, I think, the biggest problem with Peach Elementals. It's that they are so good there. Besides the fact that you can cast them for free, they are almost worth their mana, right? Because a four mana Solitude would be amazing. Right. Like, without the bow, it would just be a playable card. I yeah. think that's the biggest aspect of why they are so powerful. And also, another... Hu- so, Shard of the Skull has a second huge upside in Modern, which is most of Modern decks are creature-based, and the Peach Elementals in Boros Colors are extremely reactive. So a lot of the time, you just... Even if you have no land drop, you go 4-mana Shard of the Skull, try to find a Solitude or a Fury, and you cast it for free from, while, while exiling a card from your hand. So the Shoron gets you back the card advantage while allowing you to dig for free spells that you can cast from exile. Yeah, like much more tempo positive than the Pioneer version because there's no free spells you get off it. So the turn you play Showdown, you're not just tapping out and doing nothing just to get advantage next turn. Exactly. There's a good chance you're going to find your pitch elementals and just have your proactive value play you need. So you're only playing one Fury and three Solitude. So just the Fury just there as a tutor target. Yeah, because you don't have as many red spells and also Solitude plus Ephemerate tends to be a lot better. Right, okay. Yeah, this is also an old build, I think. There have been some changes made, especially the fact in the last build we're playing a lot of Recent Reef, so we're playing more Pitch Elementals, like the build has moved. Lost a few Hate Bears that is playing for Recent Reef. Mm. So it allows you to just play a more fair game, and Shuron of the Skulls works particularly well with Recent Reef because it gets you a lot of lands. Like, ramping with Shuron of the Skulls is amazing. Do you consider, like, what your uh, enchantments cost? So I noticed you have no three-mana enchantments, so you have no four-mana creatures, and that's that's a very conscious decision? That's a very conscious decision because, A, there's only one playable four-mana creature in Modern. Omnath. Exactly. Which you don't like getting on your end step. Right, fair enough. And there is no playable three-mana enchantments. Well, Blood Moon. <laughs> there's no three-mana playable enchantments you want to sacrifice because you have right. Clothes and Fair Blood Moon. Right. And in the a, bit, in a lot less playable realm, you have Treacherous Blessing and Oath of Kaya. Okay. And you're are, not playing Black. Exactly. You could In the first versions they did, we actually played that, but Oath of Kaya is not a playable card in Modern nowadays. Right. Three-mana Lightning Helix is not good enough. At Sorcery Speed. <laughs> At Sorcery Speed. With tiny upside that if they attack your non-existent planeswalkers, you drain two. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I, I love the look of this list. This looks super sweet. The first deck list uses Shorn of the Skulls due to being an enchantment. The second and third one actually abuse an interaction that's pretty close to the Shepherd of the Flock, Shorn of the Skulls, you did. Which is a card I absolutely love and have tried to defend a lot, which is Broadback. Yes. So Broadback works in two amazing ways for Shodan of the Skull. A, it might ramp you on turn two, so you get a turn three Shodan with an extra land drop because you just go turn one fetch, turn two fetch land. On your opponent end step, you double fetch, you Broadback, and you go up to four lands on turn three, and you get your fifth land drop. Secondly, it allows you to get insanely value turns when you go turn four or five Shodan, and when it sacrifices, you get to get back any permanent that left the battlefield this turn, plus your Shodan of the Skull. Broadback becomes a 2-mana ramp, plus Shodan of the Skulls a lot of the time, because you just fetch before you get it again. Fetchlands make Broadback a ridiculous card in a lot of scenarios. And then you also, because you're playing Fury and Solitude, it can just be a natural way to get those back as well. Exactly. So a lot of the time you're just gonna go, like, a really common play pattern against aggressive decks was... Turn one, play something like an Abundant Growth. Turn two, your opponent plays a creature and you go, okay, fetch land, solitude, get back my solitude, get back my fetch land. 
and my two mana source and my two mana instant was remove a creature, put a three two lifelink into play, ramp rampant growth. Yeah, that's pretty good. And it has a lot of extra. So Broadback allows Shoran's the Skulls to be the best dig spell you can find because it's the only one that's a pretty amazing to get back because it's an ETB that's worth three or four mana. And B, it's going to sacrifice itself. You don't have to work to get it in the graveyard. It's like the Fury, the Solity, or the Fetchlands, right? Because, yes, sometimes you're going to get back at the Fetty with Roadback. But that's not as easy, right? It requires either setup or your opponent attacking into it when you, just when you're holding up mana. Right. So you have two different Broadback lists here. One of them is Naya, uh, and one of them is Four Color. Yeah. So what are the pluses and minuses? And, of course, they're both your Ryan lists. No, no, I think, oh, that's, so we have the two-year list, but there's also the one that Penash, that certain early Discord and has gone to make their own Boros Broadback. So there's this Boros Broadback Discord, which is just filled with builds like these ones, like the one I just sent. Okay. So what do you think the advantages are of Four Color versus the, like, Naya or Boros Broadback list? So Four Color's... It's, of course, as per usual, a lot more greedy. It allows you to play... It always allows you to play more powerful spells, allowing you to play your more access while being less focused on what you're doing. If you're trying, if you're going to play against a meta where you know you're going to face a lot of creatures and Solitude and Fear are going to be amazing, the Boros one, I think it's better. Like, just look at the build. It's literally 4 Ephemerate, 4 Esper Sentinel, 4 Ragavan, 4 Broadback, 4 Cleansing Wildfire. It plays 2 Teferi, sometimes it plays 4 Captain Ranger of Fios. Here it has a 2-2 split. For sure, on the skull, for solitude, for fury. So it has nine one drops, eight two, two drops that ramp you, four creatures on the three cost, for sure, and eight pitch elementals that are removals. This deck crushes any sort of aggro deck to the ground. Hmm. But even if you start getting two for ones against control, what are you getting out of those two for ones? Right. Yeah, okay, you're drawing a lot of cards, you're getting almost three years. Okay, I'm gonna play my third Esper Sentinel. <laughs> this deck really relies on the showdown contracts to close games. Like, okay. also, it plays Flaxons of Trocera plus Cleansing Wildfires as additional ramp, which is a pretty cool combo. It's a pretty cool line to have. Yeah. And the Naya version points to similarly the same plan while having access to Ladamri's Call. So if you can play a bit, you can play fewer pitch elementals if you have Ladamri's Call to go get them. Ladamri's Call plus pitch elementals is particularly good because it isn't as tempo negative as it would be to call for a, car, a spell you actually have to pay. Right. So in Modern Journal of the Skulls, Tenshuban, more than its counters in the second and third step, it relies on the fact it's either a piece of material that's really expensive with a huge ETV, or the fact that it's a piece of material that puts itself into the graveyard and get back with the broadback synergy. Because when you get a show, sometimes you just go showdown of the skulls, find a second showdown, the second showdown finds you the broadback to get back the first one, and you just start looping showdown of the skulls against your opponent. You're winning that game. I once got into a position where I was putting 3 plus 1 plus 1 counters per spell into a Ragavan. I attack with a 9-8 Ragavan. <laughs> That's going to close the game eventually. And sometimes you just get a... I have a picture where I'm going to go to 18, attacks with all. And now all I have on board is a 4-4 Fury. And I was able to chain 5 spells in a single turn, attack for 18. <laughs> Those are the dreams. Yes, but, absolutely. That's the best part about the deck. With that being said... The Naya, uh, like the four color version, actually, the last MSCG, um, I think, or big tournament there was, the top eight deck was a four color midrange that had access to Broadback and Short of the Skulls. Oh, okay. So it's not worse than the other version. It's just a bit more reliant on the graveyard and it's a lot more grindy. It replaced the Reserve Rift package with Shodan and Broadback, which allowed you to ramp a lot. So it, 
Growthback is sort of a feast or famine card, right? Yeah, yep. It's either double ramp and growth on turn two, or you top deck it in the late game and have a two mana do nothing instant. So it's just on that weird spot in the timeline. So which one do you like, though? Just your, your generic uh, preference. I just love four color. I just love four color midrange. I, four color midrange and broadback. I just cannot say broad. I can't say no to broadback. So I say broadback. I think of Shoran of the Skulls because it interacts well with broadback and the pitch elementals. So it's like a triad, you know? Broadback loves both. Shoran of the Skulls, lo- Shoran of the Skulls loves elementals and broadback. Pitch elementals love broadback and showdown. Broadback loves pitch elementals and showdown. They all work well among each other. So you just played it. 16 card package together. Yeah, it's a, a devil's three-way there, it sounds like. Besides that, I haven't that found much else for short of the cards in Modern. I always found it in shells that relied on it being an enchantment or just a broadback synergies. I never saw it without any of those, I think. Yeah, I, I, you know, four mana is a lot in uh, in Modern. So I, I think the fact that we're finding ways, like you say, the turn that it's being played is super tempo positive is, the, is one of the big keys. And, and I think that's... Because you get so many cards out of it, the fact that you're having to pitch a spell to do it is, is sort of negated. Exactly. So the only other deck I have since played, now that I was thinking about it, is in a Ferrus Rokiric deck. Oh, okay. That I think it was a two-off. I didn't add it here because I didn't even find the deck list. It was a long time ago, but it's a pretty relevant synergy because it wasn't playing like the four, like the five colors general Rokiro like that you, you tend to see. It was like Anaya value deck with Ferrus. It had Showdown. It had Helix. It had a lot of multicolor spells, but mostly on Boros. Yeah, so Ferris makes a 4-4 every time you cast a multicolor spell. So this is both a multicolor spell that in theory finds a bunch more multicolor spells. So when you chain all those together, and then you also are making bodies that get to absorb the uh, plus one, plus one counters from the second and third uh, saga tokens, or saga saga counters. I think it had Brain and Six, Manamorphos, and a lot of stuff that digging into it was actually quite good. But yeah, I think that's all we have to say about Shadow of the Skulls. Which is why the reason mostly why we were a bit shocked it got so much interest because it's an amazing card, it's a fun card, it's a simple card in between quotes. It's a cross spell. It's like you wanted us to brew with Ponder. I know what I can do with Ponder. Everyone knows what I can do with Ponder. Well, we're hoping to get some leagues in again. We don't need much of an excuse. You don't have to twist our arm too hard to get us to play Showdown of the Skulls. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Whatever format uh, it's legal in. Yeah, so we will uh, we will test a few of these out again. This might be a great time to get back into the format playing Showdown of the Skulls, and I'll see if my mana uh, betrays me. We'll see if we get to draw brought back at our opening hand with Fetchlands in Modern. So that's going to be a fun week for us. Exactly. So hope to see everybody on Monday. Hope to see everybody soon. Have a nice night. Bye, David. Thanks so much for joining us. Take care, bud. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode and want to know more about our latest brews and what we're working on, you can support us via Patreon, which will guarantee you immediate access to our Discord, where you can find our faceless brewers alongside an army of mind-like players, all hoping to find their perfect brews. Finally, remember to tune in on Monday for our next episode, regarding the Obscura. Will David's compulsion for building three-color finally pay off? We will see on the following episode. Have a nice night, and stay safe.